Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hello, you're listening to Steve Bloomer's Washing, the Derby County Fan Podcast. It's the international week once more, so I've got a special episode with a bit of a twist. There's no ex-player with us for this podcast, but we have got someone who was employed by the Rams nine years ago, and it's none other than our very own Richard Kutcher. Excited? I'm very excited. A little bit nervous to be quizzed by my good friends, Chris and Tom. So it's a podcast all about you, Richard. You must have thought this day would never come. Never thought this day would ever come. And never thought... Not finally. <laughs> ev- everything that happened in those nine months uh, would never happen either. Um, but yeah, let's continue. So for those who are still in the dark about this and who haven't joined the dots from the title of this podcast, tell us what you did at Derby County in the 2009-2010 season. So I was Derby County's full-time professional club mascot, Rami the Ram. Was that your actual job title, professional mascot? <laughs> yeah, uh, club mascot and marketing executive, I believe. But yeah, club mascot was first and foremost what I was. But on my CV, I think it currently says marketing executive, Derby County. So much more than just just that giant head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so much more than just a ramble. I, I can assure everyone who's listening right now, this isn't a wind-up. This, this is genuinely true. <laughs> if you search online for Richard's name and and Rami, it's all there in, in black and white, as it were. I guess the only place to start is how and and why. It was almost an accident, really. Um, I was finishing... Uh, 2009, I was finishing university, reading history at York, um, and I was planning to go to do a journalism career, journalism course in London um, in the following September. And then I think I think it must have been around April or May, around Easter time, uh, Derby County put an advert on the website for a, a new professional club mascot and Tom actually told me this morning I, I forgot this but I'd actually sent the link to him as well and said we should both apply for, for a laugh basically I thought you were taking the mick and then the deadline came and went <laughs> <laughs> and um, I, I I really just applied because I wanted I think lots of fans like to get a headed letter from the football club I was just going to frame a rejection letter from Derby <laughs> County that was my plan so I put an application in but I, I guess I did take it relatively seriously when I put it in I got invited by the marketing team to come in for an interview. What was that interview like, having got the acceptance letter? Yeah, so I got, uh, got a phone call uh, from the club, and they, they, they asked me to come down, and they just said, I did, they just said an interview, I don't, think, I don't think they used the word audition. So I turned up in a, in a, you know, in a suit, my, probably my first ever and probably cheapest um, suit I've ever worn, and I think I put a black and white tie on and tried to, tried to look the part. On brand, nice. Yeah, on brand, yeah. And I remember it was the first time I'd even been in the West End reception, you know, West End entrance. Yeah. And funnily enough, not only were they advertising for a new club mascot, but they wanted to have a, a new match day announcer, which was, ends up being Matt McGibbon, who's, who's still there today, um, and a new club DJ. So there's a group of us all waiting for interviews. I, should point, I feel like I should point out at this point, you said there that you sort of half applied for a joke I mean you, you know you did take the role seriously didn't you oh yeah absolutely I took the I took the once I was in there I took the whole process seriously and the whole thing wasn't for a quote banter no no not, not at all it cost 
yeah, it was it was an odd year, and this this whole process was odd. But you know, I've I did a lot of drama at school. I was always very confident. Um, I was a passionate Derby County fan. And I just thought, you know, what? Let's let's explore this a bit further. And I mean, you are the biggest diva of the three of us, so I, yeah, it's, I it suits you down to the ground. I, yeah, big time. It was also the perfect timing, I guess. You're just finishing uni, not really sure where you're going next, and then this ridiculous thing. And I do vividly remember you you messaging me, telling, saying this is a great idea. So when you did the actual interview, there was a bit of a bizarre task they asked yeah. you to do, wasn't there? Yeah. So uh, I went up, as I said, I was wearing my suit, and the interview took place in the in the boardroom, uh, in the in in the main boardroom at Pride Park. And there was about three or four people from communications and marketing there. And I did a normal kind of, what you'd say, a traditional interview, panel interview about, you know, why I was interested in the role, what my connections to Derby were, what I'd bring to the role. Where you see Rami in five years' time. Where I see, where I see, <laughs> where I see Rami in five years' time. Um, but I saw that they had on the side uh, of the room the original Rami head, the old Rami head, which I think most people remember. And they asked me at the end of the interview to uh, leave the room uh, put put the head on. I'm still wearing my suit and tie, and executive of, Rami, nice. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and burst through burst through the boardroom doors as if I was leading the team out at Pride Park, um, and kind of jump around. Well, like and, physically smashed the door down, like, like <laughs> yeah. Hulk Hogan style. So then, like incredible Hulk, ram, ram it down. <laughs> and I think someone from Arkin just said like one, two, three, enter or something. And I came in, I jumped about, and although. Rami is mute, as most mascots are mute. I was kind of shouting, because I was shouting to get myself going, get my adrenaline going, and show that I could be big and, and brash and bold. <laughs> Just like we do before the start of each podcast. Yeah, yeah. exactly similar warm-up. Um, <laughs> anyway, it seemed, to go, it seemed to go quite well. And then a couple of weeks later, I was invited back for a second audition, and this time it was very much an audition. And that task was taken a step further, but no, no less bizarre. So... This was the first season we had a brand new costume for Rami, and we'll talk about that a bit more because that became controversial in its own in its own, in its own way. Um, but they asked me because again they were auditioning for a new announcer and a new DJ, and they invited me to go down to the, the home changing room. And it was this was like a Wednesday, you know, like a Wednesday or Tuesday pre-season, so there's no games on. It's empty Pride Park, thirty-three thousand empty seats, and they wanted me to put the full costume on and lead out an imaginary team in front of an imaginary crowd <laughs> with with the, with the music blaring at least and I had to run out and I ran around the pitch and basically did the routine I ended up doing that whole season of leading the team out and that was very strange because there was about four people sat you know in the in the West End <laughs> judging me and watching me <laughs> lead out <laughs> marks out of 10 <laughs> I did five I, you know what I don't remember getting much feedback at the time <laughs> They were taking the mix. Then 40 minutes later, they're like, Richard, you can stop doing it now. Stop running around the pitch. Yeah, I was celebrating goals still. Imaginary Chris Commons hat-trick. Um, yeah, and then I guess, I did, I can't remember what I really heard for the next few weeks, but it all ended with me at graduation day at York getting a phone call from my future bosses saying that they'd like to offer me the job. So fast forward a bit then. That costume you had to wear, how, how hot, what, on a scale of one to sweltering... How hot was it inside that costume in like in like the early and late months of the season? Yeah, it was it was flipping hot. Um, but I, we actually improved it because, as I said, there was a brand new costume and, and a lot of fans didn't like that. They they rebranded Rami because the old costume was very tired. But they went really. I would say that the club went too far. It it became real cartoon style Rami. It's still the Rami you have today. However, the original new Rami was a lot fatter. <laughs> Um, not me personally, but um, the costume was you know, lots of padding, lots of extra fur, excess, gratuitous fur, I would say. 
Um, and so the first game of the season was a, it was a heat wave and I think mm. Tom you said you were there I think it was yeah. like 31 degrees yeah, not a cloud in the sky classic opening day fixture against Peterborough and I think I lost several pounds that day because I was just sweating and from that moment on I said to the club we don't need this extra stuff I think it looks ridiculous the, the mascot the extra paddy and the extra layers on the, particularly the top half and it's just unworkable if you, if you want me to be active and visible and busy and they said yeah it's your your role you can get rid of it and we and we got rid of it so actually most of the season even back in, in May when it got hot again it actually wasn't too bad it was just a head which was quite stuffy you know they're trying to tell a story Rami's obviously lost a lot of weight in, in the close season yeah. he's had a strict exercise regime mm-hmm. and he's trim and on the opening day so how long does it take you to get dressed then in that costume before matches? Must have taken a fair while. Yeah, so in the original cost in the original costume they wanted me to wear, it was like a half an hour activity. But then once I slimmed it down, it's probably like 10, 15 minutes. Uh, but, but you know, the gloves, you're wearing these big um, gloves with only four fingers. And I don't know why. I don't know if Rams have more or less fingers than humans, but um, I guess they don't have fingers at I all. I wouldn't dwell on it. Yeah. Um, the, the tricky bit was always putting the last glove on. So you put you put one glove on, you Velcro it up because you've got one free hand. But then how do you put the second hand? I always had to find someone to help me, basically. So a bit of context to this season, 2009-2010. This was Nigel Clough's first full season, wasn't it? And let's be honest, we weren't very good during this period, were we? No, really? it wasn't a great season. Um, but you told us before that one of your first encounters with Clough was when he helped you out with that costume yeah so that was uh, Blackpool way I went to a few away games during that season as as Rami and, and I think the first one I went to was Blackpool way a very small stadium and even the changing rooms for the players is all pretty basic and they put me in this was quite odd they put me the, the Blackpool staff were very welcoming very helpful but they put me in the same changing room as, as the children mascots so I was like I didn't feel comfortable about doing that obviously so I asked them to do their bits first and then I went in and got and got ready but I had no one to help me put my put my second glove on and I came out and uh, Nigel was sat there with uh, his two sons Willie and I can't remember his other son's name I came out without the head on everything on apart from the head and one glove and Nigel looked at me a bit shocked and, and Willie who was pretty young at the time looked at me pretty shocked as well and I you ruined it for him <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly and I just said I think I kind of my I was pretty respectful and a bit scared of Nigel Clough at the time. And I was just kind of like, oh, Gaffer, would you please help me put my glove on? And he was like, yeah, of course, mate, of course, mate. And he puts it on and he puts it on so tight, like tight to the point where my hand is throbbing within <laughs> about five minutes. But I, had, I didn't have the balls, obviously, to say, sorry, that's too tight, Gaffer. Can you just loosen up a bit? Um, so I kind of lost my hand that day. <laughs> Do you have any like specific routines when you were uh, getting ready? routines getting ready not so much I mean on match day at home obviously I did all the home games and then I only did a few away games but home games I tend if it's a 3pm kick off you kind of get to the ground most staff Derby staff get to the ground about 10am 11am um, make sure everything's in place make sure my, I would get change actually in the Pride Park offices and then go down uh, to go down to kind of pitch side I think by about 1pm when because then fans will start arriving and you'd have some photo um, things with maybe some sponsors to do uh, and then obviously start kicking about on the pitch with the kid mascots about 2pm and then really just do a few tours of the ground meet as many kids as possible which was always a lot of fun and then obviously lead the team out at, at 5-3 to three. but on, in the first few games of the season the Americans we were owned by um, uh, I can't remember the name of the consortium now General Sport Entertainment yeah, yeah, G- yeah. GSC which is Andy Appleby and Tom Glick was president at the time. And they were very keen as, as an American ownership that they come from the American sports, particularly 
um, the hockey and basketball where mascots are mascots are big deals in yeah. American sports. It's a different world. They have like six figure salaries, which I don't think they ever thought they could quite transpose it to that degree to um, football over here. But they really wanted the mascot to be much more visible. So the first few games of the season, we did like a march from city centre to Pride Park. So Rami and a few marketing staff and events people would go and they'd invite kind of kids and families to march with Rami to the game. And we got, I think we got like 50 to 100 uh, kids doing that first few games. I remember the first game against Peterborough and it was Rami's first outing as the new costume. And there's a couple of like maybe early 20s, mid-20 fans who obviously were very much against the new Rami costume and uh, got a little bit of abuse from them. But uh, in general... (laughs) As if if you decided to costume yourself. Yeah, of course, yeah. Um, But, you know, generally relatively good-natured stuff. Um, And I could see why people were upset of the the costume changing. Uh, But generally, the the match day routine was pretty basic, really. Kick about with the the kids, see as many kids as possible, and and then let the game begin. How easy was it sort of moving around, obviously walking from the city centre to Pride Park, not a short distance, and then sort of playing football with the kids, how, how easy was it doing that? Uh, pretty easy, like physically it's pretty easy, most people hopefully know that Rami's always been seen as like a football playing Ram, so always ha- always wore like AstroTurf shoes to play in, so walking was fine, I didn't have like weird boots or anything, uh, it's just actually the visibility, because you see, not to ruin the analogy for any younger kids listening, but you kind of, you see through the nostrils, so your head's always kind of like, you're always having to change your head shape to quite see, you haven't got much vision at all, so that was mainly just being careful where you're stepping and, and and such. So you're lining up before the game, ten to three, whatever, on the opening day. You got the whole Derby first team behind you. It's a sellout crowd because we actually looked. It's like a, it's a sellout gate that game, wasn't it? Yeah, against um, Peterborough. Yeah. What's going through your head? What? What? Were you nervous? Were you excited? Was, like, how, how were you feeling? All of those things. Nervous, excited, pretty emotional actually. Like anyone who's a big football fan, whether it's of Derby or whatever club you support, your your dream of running onto the pitch in in the kit, right, of your team. And obviously, I'm not a good enough footballer to actually achieve that, and neither are you two, I'm, I'm afraid. <laughs> um, and, and obviously, most of the people in the, in the stands aren't. So I guess, for me, the next best thing was running out as Rami. And to do that and hear the hear the matchday announcer shout, you know, welcome Derby County, the Rams onto the pitch, and, and I run out, and you hear that, you hear that roar. It is the... It is an amazing experience. It, it literally, no pun intended, like the hairs in the back of my, mm. <laughs> my neck were standing up. And, it, and that happened every match. It did, never got old. That feeling really never, ever got old. But there's that very important rule, isn't there, that mascots cannot speak? Yeah, to speak is to sin, I think, is the phrase I've used before. You just can't speak in the costume because it ruins the... I don't know why it does, but I guess it ruins the imagination or ruins mystique. the mystique of a mascot of some bloke in, in, a, in a southern accent starts chatting away. Were you able to interact with any of the other other mascots? Yeah, so we did... One, because I was full-time, uh, we made a lot of effort at the club to get in contact with other mascots from other clubs. Some were some were full-time, some were part-time, and offer them, like, you know, if when, when Sheffield Wednesday are playing Derby, for example, we'll invite the two owls down. Uh, to you know, be be on the pitch and stuff before the game. What, represent... what are their names again? I can't remember if I'm honest. <laughs> something Chris, Owley and Owley and Owlette or something. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> um, and and they they reciprocated. I actually couldn't make it to Hillsborough that season. I can't quite remember why. But Andy uh, McDowell. <laughs> <laughs> and and yeah, so the owls came down, and then uh, I went to Blackpool. I went to Blackpool away, as I, as I mentioned before, and I also went to Plymouth away. Which was a long, long old trip. I think we, I think we actually lost that night. And uh, me and Pilgrim Pete had a 
hung out a, a little bit. And I what, to... what I find that weird there is that he is a mascot who's a man, so he's a man inside a costume of a man. Yeah, so that is quite strange. <laughs> um, but I mean, most of them are quite strange. I mean, I met, I met. Um... Maybe I'm, I think I'm overthinking it, but anyway. You've got a man in a costume of a van. It's also a bit strange. Yeah. <laughs> mascots are just strange, generally. <laughs> and then I also met mascots at other events. Uh, like, there's a... I think we'll talk about it later, but there's the Mascot Grand National. I filmed a music video for an England World Cup song. Um, so I met you know, mascots from various divisions. And they're all quite... They're all really interesting people. You know, they're all... Most of them are part-time. They do a, a regular job, a regular nine-to-five type job, but they just happen to dress up as a massive shrimp on Saturday or, <laughs> or a dinosaur if you're going to saw Rex, for example. It's a really weird but great community. There's a, there was a private... Um, there is, there, and I believe there is still a private mascot forum where you can only get into that forum. It's like an old-school uh, fans forum type thing. You only get into there if, if you are a as currently serving mascot and people get in contact with each other about inviting each other to matches they do socials uh, they do charity stuff you also get advice so during the season when I first started I put quite a few threads going on there about asking for advice about how to deal with certain situations certain problems um, and it was a really really um, it's just a very niche thing isn't it being a mascot now those first few early games you were getting right in there with the with the first team squad, weren't you? Because there's a few late winners where the players you scored and you know got got involved with you. There was a bit of a Rami bundle and a few of those early goals, wasn't there? Yeah, there was, and that, and that was really incredible. I mean, I said about the the hairs on the back of my neck standing up leading the team out, but imagine Derby scorer, you know, last last minute or last five minutes equal, a winner. I think Miles Addison second home game of the season. We beat Plymouth. Addison scored from a, scored a header, I think, from a corner or, or a set piece, and Addison just came straight over towards me rugby tackled me uh, and then I was right in the middle of a, of a bundle and that was just an incredible feeling and I think then the, the next the first the next match day program the front page was was Addison and, and Rami celebrating that goal um, and, and that they were encouraged to do so because as I said the Americans really wanted Rami to be involved be present become a brand get the crowd going uh, some people say I did do that some people say I didn't manage to do that but the, the players, I know for a fact, the players were encouraged to celebrate with Rami, which was, you know, I've got an ego, so like, that was that was great. <laughs> uh, obviously, I don't think I've really paid too much attention to Rami before you became uh, Rami yourself, but I always remember being in the southeast corner uh, and you, and it'd be like, Rami, Rami, give us a song, and you had a couple of routines. You, you did seem to be genuinely like well thought of, yeah, it, 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 by, it, by the fans in that season. Yeah, it took a couple of games to get going. Um, particularly with a new costume and, and Rami being visible during the matches that hadn't happened I think for quite a while but that was the season we had Chris Commons and I won't recite the full version of the song but the Chris Commons song was he plays from the left he plays from the right that boy Chris Commons makes Forrest look something mediocre below, below average <laughs> yeah <laughs> and so that was obviously an easy one for Rami down in the southeast corner when they asked me to give him a song I'd often crack out the Chris Common song because that's quite easy visibly to, to get the crowd going yeah, there's only so many songs you can get going through gestures only really, yeah and then uh, I think we, we the, weren't we weren't bouncing in those days no, so we, the, the lead song was it oh the airplane yeah, yeah the airplane gestures always went down quite yeah. well uh, with the Derby fans as well, so and I think I used to do a bit of marching. Yeah, <laughs> I seem to recall that was when we had the uh, the forest going down for five in the bank, and everyone put their hands. Oh up yeah, you that you did start that one. Forest so. going down with five in the bank. Yeah, I remember that one. Good remember, yeah. good remembrance, Tom. In a similar theme, I, myself and my brother shared a season ticket in uh, in that season in the southeast corner, and I remember one game. 
I think it may have been against Newcastle when we beat Newcastle 3-0 the season they went up but anyway you were walking like along the touchline yeah um, so from you know like the edge of the box towards the corner flag um, and you were sort of marching along having a lovely old time in, in your element and I don't know how bad like the visibility is through the head or something but you were like marching and you were marching headlong towards like a, an advertising hoarding I thought he hasn't he hasn't seen this <laughs> he's got it and then uh, lo and behold like Ten seconds later, you just went straight over, arse over tip. Yeah, like <laughs> completely stacked it over this advertising board. <laughs> yeah, I had a couple. Of, I had a couple of those moments. The other one was, and I had some people other... lapped it up though. Yeah, of course. a bit of like slapstick comedy. I'm sure lots of people thought it was deliberate, but it really, it really wasn't. Um, it's just your incompetence. <laughs> just, just sheer, just sheer incompetence. Um, the, the other one, which was I always remember, and I had some friends in the southeast corner that night, so I think I was maybe giving it a bit extra large. Was Friday night at home against Coventry City. I'm not sure. It might be on Sky, but it was a Friday night game. And I, I used to do a thing where when I do the aeroplane song or the Chris Common song, I would stand sometimes on the corner of the advertising boards at the southeast corner, and I'd stand on top of them, which is about two or three foot. And I was doing some Chris Common gestures, but I managed to rock back. I completely lost my balance, fell straight onto my back and did a backwards roll. Um, <laughs> and I heard something crack inside the head. And I was the first, not my head, but Rami's head. Um, and there is a difference. You killed Rami! <laughs> and like my first, you know, as I think most mascots would say, the first fear is your head breaks, or your head comes off, because then people suddenly see, imagine all these seven-year-old kids suddenly seeing this balding bloke pop out of a ram's body. That is psychologically <laughs> scarring, isn't it? Yeah, for everyone involved. <laughs> so I immediately legged it round behind, this is before the game had started, just as the players had come out, legged it behind the goal in front of all the Coventry City fans who had given me some abuse, ran straight down the tunnel just to check everything was fine, the costume was still working, I was covered up, and it was, and I came straight back out again. But yeah, I had a few, I had a few um, accidental trips and slips. But you're still fully functional. That's yes. good. Now, Steve Bloom is washing is partnered for this season with Derby Brewing Company, a family-run micro-pub operator in Derby with three venues across the city. More from Richard on Rami in just a second. Hi, I'm Dean Sturridge. Hi, I'm Paul Pesky-Solido. Hi, I'm Curtis Davis, and you're listening to Steve Bloom is washing. So a lot of people, when they think about football mascots, they assume you just turn up at you know one o'clock on a Saturday and leave at five o'clock on a Saturday, but... It was a full-time job, wasn't it? And a lot of the time you actually did like six days a week. Yeah, yeah, or seven days a week sometimes. Um, So yeah, the job was, as I said, club mascot and and marketing executive. And and the marketing part of that job was all to do with Rami. So uh, my job was not just to be Rami, but to market Rami and to sell Rami appearances. Um, So obviously packages would include, most most often it would be birthday parties for kids age between 6 and 12 and we had a, we had a birthday package I think it was Power League um, who were, who were the, the company over the road from the from the stadium in, in, in what was JJB at one point as well I think mm. um, and they had a five-a-side facility so uh, the, uh, a Rami package birthday and it might be the same now I'm not sure was I Richard Kutcher would give them the parents and the kids a tour <laughs> of Pride Park and then we'd take them over to play some five-a-side, and I'd say, oh, I'm just going to go and get Rami, and then I'd come back, or wow. Rami would come back. It's proper Clark Kent stuff, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> so how do you... What I'm puzzled about is, how do you sell those packages? How do you write the emails with massive hooves? Yeah, that was a challenge. And Did um, you have, like, an assistant to dictate stuff to Yeah, you? yeah. I, I dictated stuff to an <laughs> army of flams. <laughs> who did Minions. have real um, hands. 
<laughs> and fingers. Uh, no, so I, I wasn't actually um, sat in the in the office in full costume. Um, well, that's ruined it for me. Um, but yes, yeah, so obviously, obviously, people are members of you know season ticket holders and and members of Young Rams. Uh, all that information's on there, so they they would get emails about you know birthday opportunities when their birthdays are coming up. Uh, and and it wasn't just birthdays, but I did like you know retirement parties. Someone, if if a super fan you know wants some presents from Derby at, the, at their at their event, then obviously Rami was a great uh, great addition to any uh, event. And who doesn't? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> that was that Derby team, as we said, wasn't a great side, but there were some good youngsters coming through at the time. Um, any players that you particularly got on with or or built relationships with during that time? So, in the first couple of months of the season, um, I actually was down at the training ground. Uh, semi-often just for things like photo shoots or, or whatever um, and, and I think the club were quite keen and so, certain people at the club were quite keen to introduce me to the players and try and build up that relationship so that there would be some kind of uh, relationship um, during celebrations and things. I remember playing table tennis with Paul Green and Steve Davis in the first few weeks of the season at Moor Farm. But how do you play table tennis with the boobs on? <laughs> I'm just going to skip past that uh, <laughs> comment, Chris. How do you um, see just through the nostrils? <laughs> um, and but Miles Addison was actually one of the ones I did seem to kind of have a little bit of a, a relationship with in the first few months. Uh, he was obviously re- very highly thought of at the time, and and the club saw him as a, as a real potential star. And yeah, and he, and he had, did have quite a good season and scored some important goals. So that was quite nice when he came and celebrated with me. Also at the time, what Derby have always done, from from what I understand, is the apprentices and the and the youth team players do get involved on match day and do little jobs. So I think at the time Jeff Hendrick um, was serving Jeff Hendrick and Callum Ball were serving um, teas and sandwiches to the press room and to the referees and to the, they were doing the all kind of catering really for the players and the referees and the media. Uh, Mark O'Brien was a, was around at the time, although he was actually involved with the first team that season. Um, but yeah, so um, actually, it's mostly the youth youth team players that I had some interaction with because during half time and during my breaks during a match day, I would be in the tea room uh, with Phil, who is a tea lady, and then those those apprentices who were kind of her little staff of the day. Now it's fair to say, you know, that you were there for the whole season, but that oh nine ten season didn't really pan out how you'd envisaged for yourself. Yeah. Um, after an unfortunate incident against Reading at home in November of that season when uh, Reading's Brian Howard went down injured. Talk, talk us through what happened. Yeah, so that was obviously the, the main uh, blotch on, on the season for me and, and probably for a lot of people at the club as well. Um, so Brian, funnily enough, and I think some people know this, but I'm actually from Reading. I've been a lifelong Derby County fan, but I'm from Reading. So it was, it was pretty ironic for this event to happen again against that club. I used to do this thing uh, during this first few months of the season when a player would go down injured from the opposition. If I thought or could see that it wasn't a genuine injury, I would do a little thing where I kind of run down a touchline, fall over, roll around, get up, run again. Uh, and the fans seemed to quite enjoy that. So in this incident, Brian Howard, I think they had an attacking corner. No, they, they had a defensive corner. Derby were attacking. And um, Brian Howard got injured uh, when the ball came into the box. I think he got struck by his, his keeper or, or someone. And he went down injured. And I mistakenly and stupidly thought he was you know play acting or whatever. I started doing my usual bit behind the goal, which, if, if you remember, that was when the Reading, the away fans would be in the south stand. And the Derby singers would be in the before south. they swapped them. Yeah. Before they swapped them, so I was kind of between the two sets of fans, behind the six-yard box, taking the Mickey out of Brian Howard, who it turned out had broke his uh, jaw. Yeah. 
Um, I seem to remember the Derby fans are singing like Rammy Rammy drag him off because I think there'd been a few instances of play acting and uh, beforehand which I think had like yeah I think I, to that. I vaguely remember it being an ill-tempered game and I started doing my usual thing and then as Tom says the Derby fans started singing that and I then what I did then which was what different to what I'd ever done before I was kind of laying on the ground I was off the pitch I was behind the, the white line but about 10 yards away from Brian Howard and I was lying on the floor and I was miming like dragging him off of a rope I know a lot of people thought afterwards I was trying to do a, a wrestle tag team thing, but it wasn't that at all. I was lying down trying to drag him off of a, an imaginary rope. Adam Federici then comes over and he, he put his foot on my head, on, well, Rami's head. Not not violently, just as a kind of like go away, which is totally fair enough. Um, I lost I lost the plot a little bit because I had adrenaline going. I got up and I actually stepped onto the pitch, which is when I straight away knew I was like gone too far and pushed Federici. Obviously, the Derby fans are going crazy. The Reading fans are going crazy for a very different reason. And I head back over towards uh, the corner, um, the corner flag. And it's, that, fair, it's fair to say that whole incident was uh, a, a bad misjudgment on your part. So, yeah, what, so, that, what, so what were the consequences of this? Absolutely. So um, that, that, that half ended and I went into, um, into the back into changing rooms at half time. And waiting for me at half time was my, my, my seniors, my bosses who uh, didn't want me to go out for the second half, rightly so. Uh, Reading were all pretty angry about the whole whole thing, rightly so. And it's fair to say, I think I was told not to come into the office Monday and Tuesday that week while they decided what they were going to do. Uh, when I was driving home from, from the match that night with my girlfriend and one of my friends who was staying with us at the time, Darby ran me up and said, oh, you know, we're going to put a, we're going to send a letter to Reading. You know, we're going to put your name on it. We're just going to tell you that's what we're doing. And is that okay? Of course. That was fine by me, and it had a full apology to Brian Howard and to Reading Football Club um, in it. Uh, so, and I wasn't, I wasn't in the in the office for a few days afterwards. Uh, I came back in, kind of got read the riot act for going too far. Again, no real problems with that, uh, and that was kind of it uh, for for the time being. We decided, or the club decided, that they wanted Rami to continue doing what he had been doing, but maybe less of the the play acting because it was just too risky. You just don't know if a player is actually injured or not. As you say, it was a you know, a blotch on the season, something you regret and something which was dealt with at the time. But we had to mention it in the context of, of this season. We couldn't really. And, you know, it doesn't take away from the fact that you still had a really good season, didn't you? And it's still a, a year you'll never forget, I'm sure. And uh, a season where it, sound, it seemed like you developed like a really sort of good bond with the fans. Yeah, absolutely. And it, for me, it was always going to be a one season thing because I wanted to be a journalist. I wanted to be a, uh, what I thought at the time was a sports journalist. Um, so w- when I took the job, I just deferred my postgraduate course by a year so I could go and do that after that after that one season. Uh, but what, what really happened after that November game against Reading was there started to be more restrictions on what Rami could do. Uh, so I, before, well, before that game, I was always encouraged to be along the touchline, obviously not on the pitch, of course, but along the touchline, getting the fans going, being visible, and then gradually it was decided that actually it wasn't worth the risk, I guess. So I was then behind the advertising boards, less visible, which was fine. You still get the same buzz of leading the team out and doing all those bits. And that still seems to be the case. You know, Rami's still very visible. He's still out there during the whole match, which is great. I'm so glad they still do that because I do think the kids, the adults might not really care so much, but the kids absolutely love it. Like, some of the best, my best memories of being Rami were particular kids in the crowd who would always look out for me. Every, every you know, season ticket holders, obviously, they'd always come running up to me. I'd know where they were. They were like, they had their Rami dolls in their hands. And it was such a great feeling to like know that the, 
that certain fans and young fans really love that part of the club as well as the, the normal football stuff. But when you're that age and you're arguably a bit too young to appreciate the actual football yeah. and enjoy it, like mascots and and like the fan experience for use of a wanky modern day term, that, that's how that's what helps kids fall in love with with the game and the club, isn't it? Absolutely. I remember one of the one of the stories I gave to uh, the on my interview when I interviewed for the job was I remember when I was going to Derby when I was. 12 years old and I really like the old Rami and I remember like trying to get, remember giving him a high five when he go in and out of the tunnel when I used to sit in the West Stand as a kid um, so I, I kind of really valued and really recognised that that was a really that was the most important role of Rami was to engage young fans is to make sure that young fans find Pride Park a, a magical place to come and you had a you've got a bizarre bit of trivia about the original Rami haven't you about the guy who did it um, originally in the 90s yeah so Dean Mottram was Dean Mottram was the original Rami. I think he was he was Rami from the very beginnings of Rami in the early nineties. For I think it was seventeen years he did the job for, and he's he's always cited. He's cited both by Derby fans and I've read some other uh, materials. People writing kind of histories of mascots, etc., who say that Rami was the first ever full time professional mascot back in the in the nineties, and he did do a lot of um, a lot of birthday parties, and he did you know kind of charity uh, appearances, and 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 Dean Mottram was always seen as kind of the kind of daddy of, of mascotting um, and then after he left after about 16 years it kind of flitted around a few, I know a few of the boys from Derby County in the community did it for a little bit um, and I think there's one lad who I know well who did it for two or three seasons And but when they advertised for the full-time role he wanted to stay doing the community stuff which was great but he was really helpful to me in my first few months uh, he really kind of showed me the ropes and was almost like my handler uh, for matches and to make sure I knew where I was going and what I needed to do Did you do it at the same time as when the club did that thing, when they have those two guys in red who bring out an actual ram. Uh, well, they so they did that a number of times. Um, uh, Lance Corporal Derby or Sarge, Sergeant, it, yeah. Sergeant Derby. Yeah. yeah. And I think we did it that season. We, they normally saved it for special matches. And I think that season, when we beat Newcastle 3 0, was that an evening game? Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. I think they did it for the Newcastle home game. And they usually did it for the Forest home game as well. So we did that as well. So I remember I definitely did meet him because I had a picture of. The, the actual Ram <laughs> uh, Rami and Ram yeah um, you mentioned before about relationships with other mascots and you also mentioned the mascot Grand National what on earth is that? Uh, so the mascot Grand National is kind of what it says in the tin I guess it's a it's a race on the race course uh, on Huntington race course in Cambridgeshire to be specific so not at Ascot before the actual Grand National not at Ascot before <laughs> should be at Aintree the actual Grand National yeah so the Mascot Grand National is at Huntingdon which is, an, is a nice course in itself a nice track mm. um, but my and this is where I'm going to sound very bitter because in um, in the original marketing material for Rami the Ram that season we had as I said we had the big fat version of Rami and including some really horrendous clunky shoes which I could barely walk in let alone run in and as I said, I quickly changed those shoes to football boots because Rami had traditionally always been a football playing Ram. Um, but the, 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 the rules, so to speak, of the Mascot Grand National was you had to appear as if, as in your official marketing material. So they made me wear my clunky boots and I think some winger, some rugby winger who was, playing, who was a ringer for Cornish Pirates Rugby Club or something ends up winning it in about 12 seconds and I was left falling over the first hurdle <laughs> so you came fourth and you were beaten by like Martin Afaya or something like that uh, yeah I think I actually came probably like 50 out of 62 or something but, <laughs> but I'm blaming it on the shoes a, d- a decent showing 
Uh, it was a good day out. Yeah. I got a, I got a photo with uh, Pugsy the Bear. Yeah. Nice. And other other top mascots you may have heard of. He must be like the don of mascots. Like when, when Pudsy's in town, you know, all the, all the other mascot lads, they uh, you know, they, they bow to his Pudsy's, to, to his Pud, status. Pudsy's a big draw for sure. But um, I, I still I, I I'm not particularly an Arsenal fan, but I was always a big fan of Gunnarsson's Rex as well. There's no it's way he's winning that race. No. I mean, with that costume, surely. No, it, it, it's not it, aerodynamic. For no, it was mostly the rugby boys that won it, and they were ringers. Cheat. Fact. Cheating. You also, I mean, we've been friends for a long time, um, but something I didn't know is that you had a an England football hit song. Uh, I wouldn't call it a hit. Well, no. It got to what number one hundred and thirty. Stormed into the top <laughs> eighty singles. And it wasn't. It wasn't my one. It was a. Uh, you might fans might remember Thomas Spencer Wortley, who's a um, classical, uh, classically trained um, opera singer, and he, he's a big Derby County fan. He's from the area. And he was singing. He used to sing Steve Bloom was watching before the matches. I think to to mixed reviews. Um, but he was a really nice chap, and he wanted to record a football, an England song, World Cup song for South Africa 2010. And your whole idea was it was it's England underneath, and all the club, all club supporters are really England underneath. And he wanted to have the whole video filled with football mascots from all the different you know 92 clubs. I think we managed to get about 15 down for a day of filming in, in central London and I went down with um, with Billy Brewer from Burton Albion who was a good mate of mine uh, and there was, a, there was a Sammy Shrimp from Southend and Gunnosaurus Rex uh, and a few and a few others and we had a great day out filming um, and you can see you can find that music video on, on YouTube I'm sure oh don't worry about that I'll be tweeting that straight out <laughs> yeah that's absolutely fine you only told us about that well told me about it about a month ago you must have known about it at the time I, I don't remember at all maybe I think I would remember maybe we'd fallen out that season or something yeah we did propaganda merchant <laughs> <laughs> looking back on that season then what was your favourite game as in to be Rami at what was the best Rami game Presumably not the one where you fell over an advertising board. No, but you know what? The obvious thing to say is Forest at home, which it was. You know, I've got. I can vaguely remember that game. To be honest, um, as people know, I've got a pretty bad memory from remembering matches anyway. Let alone when I can't see anything. Uh, and obviously, the new beating Newcastle three at home. I remember it being a really electric atmosphere. But I think I'm going to have to say something pretty boring and say just my first couple of games as Rami, like winning, beating Peterborough first game of the season, the late goal from Gary Teal. Uh, the, as I said, Miles Addison scoring a late winner against Plymouth. That was just, I remember the sun was shining, it was all so new to me, and it was just surreal. And to have that interaction with the players and to hear the fans, uh, just any match when the fans sang Rami's name to start a song was, you know, put tears in my eyes, to be honest, because it was just when you love the club that much and you have that bond of the club so much, to then feel so much part of the club was, um, yeah, just something I'll never ever forget. And do you have a favourite goal from that season again as Rami? Again, probably the Addison one. Um, Robbie Savage's. It wasn't in a good game for Derby, but we we beat QPR. Oh no, we lost. Sorry to QPR four two at home. Again, it was a Friday night. It was on the BBC. Uh, we went two 0 up with a Robbie Savage free kick, and Robbie Savage scored the free kick, and he came straight over towards me in the southeast corner, and I could see him from about fifteen yards away sprinting towards me, and I was like oh my god I'm going to get absolutely pounded <laughs> and he jumps on me and I've got a fantastic photo of him mid-air above Rami and then all the players bundle on us right in front of the southeast corner and I think QPR were probably top at the time or were like yeah, definitely, on a, well. definitely on a good run on the way to promotion that season you kind of imagine in those huddles that all the players are swearing and going mad but actually they're all just taking the piss out of Robbie Savage because they've never seen him score a free kick before and they're like <laughs> they couldn't believe it he just did that um, and that, that was an amazing feeling because you know, Savage was such a big name in Derby 
um, well, in that season in football, and so I have him, kind of, he was our captain, have him jumping on me and celebrating uh, with me and in front of all the Southies corner was just, I mean, we ended up losing 4-2 and about a thousand t-shirts got thrown onto the pitch that night in frustration. <laughs> um, and it wasn't actually a very pleasant night to be involved with the club because the club, the, the morale in the club itself was pretty low actually the, the couple of days afterwards because it was a really well-organised and thought-out game and it ended so badly for Derby. But that goal, that one moment was probably the, the highlight. It was obviously a bit strange for, for us seeing seeing you down there on the pitch all the time uh, and obviously not in the stand with us, like pre, having a beer pre-match and post-match and then obviously chanting and stuff. Um, what about your overall view of the entire year? How would you describe uh, describe that and sum it up? I think just surreal. It is surreal. I mean, it's got nothing to do with what I do now as a job. But Does it I, not? No. <laughs> <laughs> but how do you feel informed if all that... Uh, <laughs> um, it's um, the last time I'll do that. But it was definitely character building. You know, going going through the Reading thing, which was which was not was which wasn't nice, and it, you know it was a big mistake from me. Um, but going through that experience was definitely an eye opener, and seeing how the club works behind the scenes uh, was was interesting. Although I said to you guys off air before, like for me, it kind of seeing how the club worked behind the scenes, whether it was a good season or a bad season, for me killed a little bit of the magic of of football because you kind of you see Derby. And you don't really get to see what goes on behind the scenes. Not saying anything bad goes on behind the scenes, but just seeing the kind of it's kind of like the magician that shows you the trick. Um, you kind of lose that that mystery uh, about the club. And for I would say for a little while, was still although I remained a passionate Derby County fan, for me a little bit the magic did go, and I've definitely rediscovered it in the last five years. Um, but it was, it was totally worth it to have that experience and to be on a pitch. And when I go to Pride Park now, every time I go to Pride Park and 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 see that see that grass, I just immediately think back to going out with a team and I'm sure that the current Rami feels exactly the same way great stuff well we'll leave it there that's all we've got time for um, it's been fascinating I mean fascinating for me but even though we have we know all these stories before but it's great to hear them again yeah. um, and thanks for talking to us about it I know it was a, right. <laughs> an up and down year it was fair <laughs> to say um, but you do have overall good memories and if anyone out there you know if you have any more questions for Richard about about the job and that sort of thing, then drop us a drop us a tweet or something. Get in touch on social media, um, or on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter at Steve Bloomer Pod, or drop us an email, Steve Washing at gmail.com. But uh, there we go, Richard Rami Kutcher. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank thanks you. for that. Kutch, really interesting. Thank you very much. Cheers, Tom. Cheers, Chris.